0: We're going to read again from the Bible from Proverbs chapter 4. Just after Psalms is the book of Proverbs, and you need chapter 4. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction, pay attention and gain understanding. I give you soundless learning, so do not forsake my teaching. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her. And she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. Listen, my son, accept what I say and the years of your life will be many. I guide you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well, for it is your life. Now, at the Lord's Supper, we've been reminded of the death of the Lord Jesus for us. So why is it that he died for us? How would you answer that? Why is it that he died for us? I am going to have some questions where I want to hear your answer. But for that one, just think about it. Because there are various different answers from the Bible you could give, not contradictory, but that all fit together. And here's one of them. Would you put it like this? This is 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Someone said to you, why did Jesus die on the cross? Would you say this? So that I would live righteously. That's one of the answers. And a large part of that righteousness is seen in how we relate to other people. Righteousness in practice it's how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. I love the way that Paul's letter to the Ephesians takes us from grand themes of the gospel down to the details of how we relate to other people in the church and the family and the workplace. And so tonight I want us to go from the Lord's Supper has shown us salvation to God's word showing us how should we relate to other people in certain circumstances. So we're doing it by picking up our series on the Ten Commandments again. So would you turn, please, to Exodus chapter 20. And we have got to the fifth commandment, which is so helpful and important for how we relate to others. So let's just read the fifth commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse 12. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now here tonight, we're getting into an area, the area of family and relationships, where I know there's quite a lot of pain around, hurt and difficulties in various ways. And I know that people can be badly mistreated in this whole area of family, relationships. I can't address all the specifics of that tonight. I'm just going to give a 30 minute introduction. And actually, I've been really looking forward to preaching this commandment. But when it came to preparing it, I found, oh, dear, I'm only managing to really just introduce various aspects of it. There's so much here. I'm just going to be touching on different aspects of introducing them. So I can't go into all the details, let alone address all of the different difficulties and Hurts that we might have in this area. So please let me know this week any more teaching you'd like in this area, because we might take it up again next week. I wasn't intending to. I was intending to move on to the sixth commandment. But we'll see. See how we go this evening. Might take it up again next week. Tonight, I just want to introduce to you the principles, practice, promise and purpose of this command, if we'll manage to get all four of those done. Principles, practice, promise, and purpose of this command. So let's start with the principles. Now, the Ten Commandments are a summary. We have here just ten short statements, and elsewhere the Bible gives more details about how to put them into practice, and the big principles that lie behind them. So, for example, those of you who go to Home Group, A recent home group, we were in the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Very simple, short statement. But we saw that behind it, the Bible elsewhere gives a big principle. Humans are the image of God. That's why murder is so serious. And then elsewhere, the Bible gives a whole load of details. That simple principle, how does it work out for how you drive your car? Okay, that's not in the Bible, but you know what you do with your bull that tends to charge at people. Or putting a, um, what's it called, around the edge of their roof. You know, like a barrier so people didn't fall off the roof and break their back. All sorts of details for how valuing life gets put into practice. We've got a short statement, but behind it there's so much more. What is the big principle behind this short statement, honour your father and your mother? What's the principle behind the commandments? Well, it's this one. God, because he is creator, has authority. And his authority is put into practice through people he's given authority to. Got that? That's the principle behind this commandment. God, because he is creator, he has authority. And it's put into practice through people he has given authority to. So throughout the Bible, we find there are various different people who have authority over others. In the New Testament, there are six people or groups of people we are told to submit to. Because submit means come under someone who has authority over you. So here's a real question for you. Can you think of six People or groups of people, the New Testament tells us, submit to them, they have authority. I- examples, kings, right, kings and governments, that's one. Yes, let's include that under kings and governments, sort of like civil authority over a nation. Yeah. Elders in a church, yes, that's another. Husbands if you're a wife, yes. Employers, yes. Uh, admittedly, it doesn't say that in the New Testament. But if we take the slave and master relationship, I know it's not the same, but we can take it that way. Those in work, let's say. Parents, if you're a child. And then one other, God, it tells us to That God has authority over us. Those are the six people or groups of people. The New Testament says they have authority. And if you are under their authority, you must submit to them. Authorities. Now. Authority. Let's think about the word authority. A little while ago, I told you I had an English teacher at school who liked to do the word association game. You know it? She would say a word and then the person on the front row would have to say the word that first came into his mind. And the next one, the word that came into her mind and so on and round you went. It was very silly of her because we were teenagers and we put it to bad use. And she didn't seem to learn the lesson either. It was very funny. But let's play the word association game. If I say authority, what does it make you think of? What word comes into your mind? Well it might be authoritarian, or oppressive, or tyrant, or domineering. The word authority hasn't got very good connotations, has it? It's not a popular word. It's not got a good image. And that isn't surprising. When did this bad attitude towards authority come about? Was it the 1960s? You know, some people say all bad things started in the 1960s, didn't they? Or maybe the late Victorian age. When was it that this bad attitude to authority came about? Uh, uh, Garden of Eden, I heard. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. You're right. You're right. Adam and Eve didn't like God's authority over them. So there is an unusual verse in Genesis 3. It's verse 16. It's a little difficult. It's God addressing Eve about the consequences of their rebellion against authority. And that verse seems to mean this. Just as mankind had been dissatisfied with God's authority and resisted it, so there would be a tendency for those under authority to resist it. I want to rebel against it. It's addressed to Eve and it's saying, you know, wives and others under authority would tend to have that resisting it. But it also seems to be saying this, just as mankind was dissatisfied with having authority, they were the image of God, they were to rule creation, but having it limited by God, having God constrain it and tell them how to use it. So there would be a tendency for husbands and others with authority to misuse their authority. They don't want it limited. They don't want God's boundaries on it. They want to use it their way. And in both cases, it's just a different way of showing we want to be the authority. We want to be like God. Now, this is the big principle behind the fifth commandment. Authority is a good thing. It's given by God, but it has been misused. And it's no surprise we have struggles with it and difficulties with it. If you're very aware of the struggles and difficulties, don't reject it and say authority is a bad thing. No, it's not. It's our misuse of it that's a bad thing. That's why we need the fifth commandment. Because God has instituted authority, but it gets misused. Here, I think there's another principle behind the fifth commandment, a big Bible principle. And it's this family matters. It's, it's family, isn't it? Honor your father and your mother. And it's the type. It's the aspect of family we all have. Even if, like me, your parents have died, you've still had parents. It's the one relationship we've all had at some point. So family matters. The Bible starts with a family, Adam and Eve and their children. And it continues with God working through a family, Abraham's family. And then you get to the New Testament and what's the main thing the church is pictured as? A family. But God still gives commands in the New Testament for natural family. It still matters. Family matters because God set up this world with family as the main building block. But family also matters. And I think one of the reasons it's here so prominent in the Ten Commandments is because. Isn't it often in our family that what we're really like is seen? There you see what you're really like. Now, here's an illustration I've used twice before, but uh, I think it's worth using again. You can make up your own mind on this. I heard, I was told of a son who one Sunday morning said to his dad, Dad, why don't we do things the opposite way round from normal this Sunday? Why don't we be nice and kind to each other in our family and ratty and irritable with the people at church? Now, we might laugh at that because we know what's going on, don't we? And we laugh, but it's rather sad but he has spotted that in his family, oh, they're nice and kind to people at church. But at home, with each other, oh, that's a different matter. That's rather sad. But I expect we've all got some familiarity with that. Because it's easy, isn't it, to put on a show at church or when you're out for a meal with friends for a couple of hours. It's a bit harder at work to keep up the show, but you can still manage it. But at home, with the people you live with, that's a different matter, isn't it? They see what you're really like, surely. God is not interested in our show. He's interested in what we're really like. So what about in your home? Do you honour God there? Are you Christ-like there? Well, there are two of the big principles behind this fifth commandment. Authority And family matters. Let's get into practice now. Let's think a bit about the practice of this commandment. And this is where I'm really going to have to skate over a lot of ground because there's just so much could be said. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother. Honor. What does honor mean? Well, honor is give right respect to those who were above you, those who were over you. So when it says, honour your father and your mother, it's saying, recognise that they are not on the same level as you. They deserve respect because God has put them over you. Now, that commandment is going to apply differently to various ones of us, depending on our different situations. Not hard to see. We're all different ages in different situations. So let's have a think about some of those situations and how it applies to us. And as I said, I'm going to have to just introduce each one. First of all, children and teenagers. I'm glad we've got some children and teenagers with us. So I hope you're listening. What does this mean for you to honour your parents? Well, I give you, I think I've got three things, if I remember rightly. Yes, three. Here's the first one. Listen to them. Children and teenagers, this means listen to your parents. That's one of the reasons we read Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4 is a father saying to his son, listen to my teaching. We could have read Proverbs 6 where it says, and keep your mother's instruction. It's not just dad's, it's mum's too. Show respect to your parents by listening to what they have to say. Now, I think children often think their parents are hopelessly out of touch. They don't have a clue, really. I wonder if you think that. You know, my children aren't very old, but already they can beat me at how to use a computer or a smartphone or some other such thing. Aren't these parents hopelessly out of touch? Well, listen to your parents. Because they might seem out of touch to you, but they've actually experienced a lot more of life than you. I remember in the early 90s, when I was a teenager, which gives you a rough idea of my age, being around the house of a friend who was also a teenager. And she said to her dad, Dad, you haven't really got a clue what it's like. All the bad language that's around us at school, you haven't really got a clue what it's like. He said, hang on a minute, I went to school too. May have been a long time ago. And I was also in the army. So I can tell you I've heard a lot of bad language and I know what it's like to have to resist it. Your parents have been put over you by God. And that's very sensible because they've got a lot more experience of life than you. It doesn't mean they get everything 100% right, but it means listen to them. And it also means this, obey them. There's the second thing. First, listen to them. Second, obey them. Now, children, imagine that the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Hollywell Church. And we read out this evening his letter to Hollywell Church. And you listen to see, has the Apostle Paul got something to say to me? Is there something for children? Is there a place where he actually speaks to children? And yes, there is. Because as you listen, you hear this. He says, children, in other words, prick up your ears and listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, The letter I'm meaning is the letter to the Ephesians. It was written to a church, and Paul put something in for children. He said, children, obey your parents. And then he quoted the fifth commandment. Because that's the way you respect them, by obeying them. Here's a third thing. Be careful how you speak about them. Be careful how you speak about them. In so many TV programs... Parents and especially dads are spoken of as if they're foolish, as if they don't really know what's going on, as if they're always getting things wrong. I've noticed even Peppa Pig. So that's starting really young. Who's the most foolish person in Peppa Pig? It is Daddy Pig. He's always getting it wrong. He's an utter fool. It's, It's giving you a bad lesson. Right from the start, you're taught to, Think disrespectfully, no. Be careful how you speak about your parents. Honour them by listening, obeying, and be careful how you speak about them. I'm sure there's more to say, but let's move on to 20s and upwards, okay? I'm lumping a big load of people in one category. 20s and upwards. You've got increased independence from your parents. Maybe maybe you're away from home at university, and so you've got a lot of more independence. But, but still honour those parents. When did you start to get increased independence from them? When did that increased independence start? Have you ever thought of this at the moment you came out of the womb? Yeah, wasn't there increasing independence from that moment? That was a big step of independence coming out of your mother's womb. And then from there onwards, have you thought of this? They've been having to try to manage that Increasing of your independence. I'm sure they haven't always got it right because it's really hard to get that right. Shelter them but increase their independence. But it does mean they've got years of experience of handling it. So bear that in mind. It may feel new to you, but actually it's not new to them. So guard against treating your parents as just a free transport and holiday accommodation and laundry and food service while wanting to be free of them. I think this is particularly obviously relevant to university students. Keep in touch. Ask their advice. Um, This quote I've heard said different ways, so I'm not sure exactly how how entirely accurate it is. But Mark Twain, you know the famous author? It's reckoned that he said, when I was in my 20s, my father was totally ignorant. By the time I got to 40, I was amazed how much he'd learnt in the intervening 20 years. Now Of course, his father hadn't learnt more. It's just when he grew up, he realised, actually, my father knows a fair bit. He's worth taking notice on. Again, be careful how you speak about them. There was a church leaflet for freshers. I must admit it was here at Hollywell, Where it said, in it, it was, descri- it was describing arriving at, st- at university. It says, you've arrived at university. You've met the people on your corridor. You've got unpacked. You've got rid of your parents. And I winced. I said, well, no, we can't put that in a leaflet. What a way to speak about your parents. You've got rid of your parents. Be careful how you speak about them. Maybe some of you have been converted at university or later, and your parents are unbelievers. Take this into account. They may be scared of losing you. Yeah, you've gone religious and weird, and they're scared of losing you. Show they haven't lost you by your conversion. Show you still respect them and their advice. Unbelievers can still give good advice by God's common grace. But do remember, Jesus says you're to put following him above your parents, and he put it very strongly. And so when there's a clash between what they want and what Jesus wants, you should know who to follow, although it would be very difficult to show you still respect them. You've got to try to do both. I think of a Chinese student converted at university in the UK, and her parents told her, the unbeliever, that that she was to marry and basically arranged it for her. Well, what a difficult position it put her in. And she's got to obey the Lord Jesus. She's got to show that he comes first, hard though that might be. As I say, you'll recognize I'm skating over all sorts of issues, but let's move on. Let's, let's move up a, whole, uh, uh, a lot older. Older sons and daughters. Now, when your parents are elderly... How you honor them, that can be a big challenge, can't it? I expect we all know people who've ignored their parents once they've got them in a care home out of the way and then ignored them. We probably also all know people who've had their parents live with them in their home, but oh, how they've grumbled about them and how they've repeatedly disrespected them by how they've talked about them. I can think of examples here at Hollywell that I would, I feel like naming, but I'll play it safe and not, of people who their elderly parents have been very difficult to care for. but Oh, how, how respectfully and affectionately they've spoken of them. I expect there have been times they've been really worn out emotionally and physically. But their words and their care have honoured their parents. The way they've spoken about them, you might be able to guess some of the people I'm meaning. I feel like naming them, but I won't. And that can be true with your parents in your home or in a care home. Notice again the importance of how we speak about others for honouring them. What about other relationships? It isn't just parents. This commandment is broader than just parents they're put here in a sense as representative of all sorts of people in authority over us. So who else are we to honour? Who else should we be honouring? The king, the government. What about some people in place of your parents' children during the daytime? There might be some people who, who are acting a little bit like your parents. Your teachers at school, yeah, and other people at who are in place of parents. Uh, You'll recognise probably we're going back here to the people we've heard earlier, aren't we? Um, Leaders of church, those over us at work. An interesting one, 1 Peter chapter 2 says, give proper respect to everyone. It does then show there are different types of people worthy of different types of honour, but everyone is worthy of some respect. Now, obviously, big subject. Let's just take one example of one of the things this means in practice. Just just one example of so many. What do you think of Boris Johnson? Don't call out. What do you think of Rishi Sunak? What do you think of Keir Starmer? Now, I'm glad we're in a church with lots of different political opinions, even if I might strongly disagree with them. It's not my job as minister to tell you your political opinions. I'm glad that we live in a democracy. I'm glad we live in a place where there is basically a free press and strong opinions can be expressed about government. And I'm glad that we can vote for or against people. But do remember at the same time as that, and I think it can be held together, the Bible does tell us honour those God has put over us in government. A little example of what, of, of where I think the difference lies would be this. A TV program with robust criticism of the government because it's got something wrong, that's helpful. But a TV program like Spitting Image, do you know it? I've never watched it, but it was around in the 80s and I think it's come back again. And I've seen the puppets and so it's pretty obvious what it's like. Mocking. Cruelly, well, that's breaking the fifth commandment, and that means it's a sin. Yes, robust criticism holding to account, but with respect. It's a difficult balance, but I think it's possible. And we must be careful in a society that really just despises authority and lets rip against rulers, that we don't break the fifth commandment by going along with it. Now, that's just one example. There's so much to say about other relationships and showing respect. I'd also like to have a, a section on parents and what the fifth commandment means for parents. But I think we've got to move on. Because I said we do principles, practice and next promise. The, these next two are going to be much brief. A promise. There is a promise with this commandment. Let's read it. Exodus 20, verse 12. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, This is a bit difficult, but I thought I mustn't skip over it because we could get this promise quite wrong and be quite wounding to people. You see, it doesn't mean if someone dies young, they didn't honour their parents. No way. That's pushing it well beyond what the Bible says. And we mustn't jump to conclusions like that. We've got to remember the context. Who was this first said to? Who was it first said to? Israel. And Israel was what? Well, yes, that's true. That's true. And that is relevant. So ultimately, this is pointing us to Jesus. Thank you, Brian. We'll get back to that. But what more sort of obviously was Israel? Yes, so we're all being very spiritual today. I'm, I'm looking for really obvious. A, a nation, weren't they? Weren't they a nation? And a nation rather different from Britain, because it was a nation where they were all one big family, descended from one person. They're like one big family tree, father down to son and daughter and so on. And the way for them to, as a nation to stay faithful to God was for parents to pass on God's word to their children. Teach their children about God and the covenant with him. So the Ten Commandments are repeated in Deuteronomy 5, and then in Deuteronomy 6, you have those wonderful words about parents when they are sitting down at home and when they're walking along the road and at all opportunities, teach your children God's law. Pass it on to them so they obey. That is one of the reasons we read Proverbs 4. The father is passing on God's word to his son and saying, this is the way of life. This is the way of covenant blessing. That's what Proverbs 4 is. So obeying parents would be obeying God. If the parents are passing on God's law and his covenant. And if they obeyed, Israel would stay in the land under God's blessing. If they disobeyed, what would happen to them? Well, there were covenant curses. And the ultimate one was, you'll be kicked out of the land. You won't live long in the land. You'll be kicked out. And I think that's what's going on in this promise in verse 12. Do you see now the context? It's Israel as a nation. How are you as a nation going to live long in the land? Pass the message on to your children and children obey your parents. Get this relationship right so that you keep following God. It's not saying... Salvation somehow happened by just being obedient to parents. It's that Israel, keep the covenant, keep passing on God's word. Children, obey what your parents tell you about God. And you as a nation, you'll live long in this land that I'm giving to you. It's not salvation, but it is a picture of salvation. And it's all a reminder of the purpose. Let's finish with this. The purpose of the command. The purpose of the command is not to give us life forever. The command cannot deal with our sin. Now, most of us know that, don't we? And most of us know we are not accepted by God by perfectly keeping the fifth commandments. But if we're realistic about ourselves, there is still somewhere deep inside that tendency... To think, well, it probably depends a bit on how good an attempt I'm making to at least try to obey. It must depend a little bit on how sincere an effort I'm putting in to try to roughly keep these commands. No, no, and a thousand times no. You are not accepted in any way. On the basis of how you obey, you are accepted on the basis of how Israel, God's son, which is Jesus, obeyed. How did Jesus obey the fifth commandment? Well, what was he doing in this world in the first place? He came in obedience to his father who sent him. There he came and he obeyed his human parents. Children, what do you know about Jesus as a child? Adults, what do you know about Jesus as a child? The answer is frustratingly little, isn't it? The Gospels are not very good as biographies. They're not meant to be. Because they tell you virtually nothing about Jesus as a child. Do you know how Luke summarizes Jesus' childhood? Chapter 2, verse 51, he went to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. That's the summary of Jesus as a child. The Son of God came and obeyed Mary and Joseph. And then he obeyed his heavenly father so completely that he obeyed even to death on a cross. And as he was hanging there gasping on that cross, he still even honoured his earthly mother. Do you remember? He's there running out of breath on the cross. But he still finds breath to arrange for John to look after his mother when he's gone. Amazing. Honour of his mother. And the greatest honouring of a father that has ever happened in all human history is the honour Jesus brought to his father by completing salvation. Now, that is how we're accepted by God. Not by have you done a good attempt, not by have you been sincere in how you've at least tried to keep the commandment, but Jesus obeyed the fifth commandment perfectly and all the rest as well. And that's how we're accepted. It doesn't mean the commandment no longer applies to us, Oh so no. Because we're accepted by God as what? As his children. And so now we obey and honour our father and are keen to do so, I hope. And one of the ways we do that is putting this fifth commandment into practice. Now I'm sure you recognize, and I've said it repeatedly, that there's a lot more of this fifth commandment that I haven't managed to comment on. Let me know please this week if you've got other ways you'd like to hear teaching on these family relationships and other relationships and aspects of the fifth commandment and I'll consider it for next Sunday evening. But we've all heard some way that this commandment applies to us. So let's now go this week and put it into practice. Let's ask God's help now. Father, we thank you that Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. So please help us to be righteous in our relationships to those who are over us, in our families, in our workplaces, in the church, in the nation, in the school, in the university, wherever it is. Father, you know the difficulties and you know the hurts some have. So please give us wisdom and humility. Please give us confidence that your way is best. So that we stand out from our culture, which is so anti-authority. And uh, put this commandment into practice. And so honour you, our Heavenly Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.